0: And currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. All right, Genesis chapter 30. Today we're going to be resuming basically in the middle of a story that we started last time, or in the middle of an account that we had last time. How many of you have brothers or sisters? Raise your hand if you have siblings. Oh, everybody everybody in here has brothers or sisters or siblings. Any of you ever uh, experienced any kind of sibling rivalry? Show of hands, anybody? Sibling (laughs) rivalry? Wow, not as many hands. Okay. Okay. My, I have I have a sister and we had sibling rivalry, but it was never it was never really extreme. It was you know small stuff. I, I remember one time in particular, we had a store and it was some distance away, and it was a little bit of a, of a jaunt to get over to the store and buy candy if you wanted to. So I came back with candy and she wanted some of it, and uh, I remember how I bought something. And it was like a dime or a quarter or something stupid like that, and I sold it to her for times as much oh. you know she totally took advantage of her she and my thinking was well you know she could go to the store if she wants to but you know hey if i have to do the delivery i got. but you know i mean that was that was probably the extent of it there wasn't a whole lot of sibling rivalry mm-hmm. but uh, here we're looking at a story we're in the middle of some sibling rivalry we've got two sisters two sisters locked in a competition with one another this is obviously we're, we're talking about uh, rachel and leah rachel being the wife that Jacob wanted, and Leah being the wife Jacob didn't want. <laughs> and so we're picking up today in verse 14, and we're going to be continuing. You remember last time we looked at, Jacob started a family. Uh, he started having kids with Leah. Leah, well, you remember, she ended up having the first of any of the boys that were born in the family. She ends up having Reuben, and she was thankful to God for that uh, for that first son. And then she ended up having three more after that. She had the first four boys in the family, born in the family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, and Judah. And then you'll remember, as we transitioned into chapter 30, Rachel was desperate, and she would say to Jacob, give me kids or I'm going to die, you know, and he's like, whoa, hey, back off, you know, my God, that's not under my control, Almost as if also implying, and by the way, who's the problem? It's not me. It looks like it might be you. You know, he didn't say that, but I'm sure that was there probably in the back of her mind, if not the forefront of her mind the entire time. So she ends up adopting a strategy that was, you remember, adopted two generations before, and that was take my maid, take Bilha, and have kids through Bilha, and they will be counted as mine. Because there was this real social stigma that was attached to a woman that couldn't bear children. So if your maid could bear children for you, that could help things out. And you remember Abraham and Sarah and Hagar employed a similar scheme, and they ended up having Ishmael, and that didn't work out so well, if you remember. Uh, So here we're seeing that same kind of thing going again. Bilhah ended up having two children, Dan and Naphtali. And then after that, something strange happens. We end up seeing Leah is not content with having had the firstborn. and she's not content with having had the first four boys in the family, she decides, well, if my sister gets to use the maid, then I'm going to use my maid, and pulls Zilpah into the equation. So now we've got woman number four in the equation. She ends up having two sons for Jacob, Gad and Asher. So when we left off last time, we were looking at four born to Leah, Two born to Bilha, and two born to Zilpah. And you can tell on the map behind me, the, <laughs> the family tree behind me, uh, where we're kind of at. So where has that left Rachel, the beloved wife? Uh, it's left her with a question mark and an exclamation point, <laughs> as if to say, what is going on? So they're locked in this competition. We're picking up then with verses 14 and following. Would somebody mind reading verse 14? Oh, nice. I said loud, please. Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. So now we're going to be talking about mandrakes? (laughs) That's kind of a strange thing to be talking about. Mandrakes, flowers, all right? Uh, The flower family. I've got a picture here of a generic mandrake if it's hard to see it's this big green thing down here with the purple thing in the middle all right (laughs) so that's a mandrake in the field out there a mandrake flowered plant i've got other ones as as well here here's another one more close-up view mandrakes flowers it's kind of strange though why does she want mandrakes what's the big deal why would rachel ask of Leah? hey please give me some of those mandrakes here's a little fruits little fruits that grow on the mandrakes they're kind of like small tomatoes from the description i've read and then the root of the mandrake is kind of strange the root of the mandrake it kind of resembles a human torso kind of from you know the torso down of sorts so this is an actual mandrake root kind of strange right yeah right not all of them most of them look like just the torso this one looks like a little bit more so than just the torso all right So yeah, kind of creepy, is exactly right. The word for mandrake is dudaim, and it looks like in Hebrew that there might be a play on words because dod means lover and dodim means love. And so there's this idea that perhaps the shape of the root and the word association or the sound that sounds kind of like love or lover, that there was this idea that perhaps the plant had, you know, this aphrodisiac quality to it. And so Rachel, not having had any kids yet, is thinking, Leia doesn't need those. I do, right? But it's it's Leia's kid that went out and found them. It's Reuben who's been out in the field. It's Reuben who brings them back. It's Reuben who has an allegiance to his mom, which is Leia. Hey, Mom, look what I found out in the field. And Rachel, assuming that there's this idea that these are aphrodisiacs, wants them. And so she goes to Leia, and she says, but it's in a polite way, and you'll notice it starts with, Please. <laughs> She's making a request, right? She's making a request. Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. And Leah says, Okay, I will. I mm-hmm. love you, my sister. Is that what she says? <laughs> oh, no, she doesn't. What does she say there in verse 15? Somebody mind reading that one. But she said to her, Is it a small matter for you to take my husband? And would you take my son's mandrakes also? So Rachel said, therefore, you may lie with you tonight in return for your son's mandrake. Excellent. Thank you, Livette. So she wants these mandrakes pretty badly. <laughs> pretty badly you can tell the only other time that this word for mandrakes appears in the bible is actually in the the book of song of solomon or song of songs if you guys aren't familiar with the material that you can find in the song of solomon or the song of songs i can see some smirks and some smiles on faces it's a love lover book all right it's it's all about love and there's a lot of physical love in there as well and so the only other time that mandrakes appears in the bible is in connection with love making over in the song of songs over chapter 7 verse 13 And it talks about the odor of the fragrance of it. So it's perhaps thought that maybe the fragrance that comes from these flowers is something that they thought, you know, would help her to become fertile or something. So she's pretty desperate, and she makes this desperate proposition to trade her husband for the night for these flowers. Have we ever seen a ridiculous trade ever offered before as we've been moving through the material? Yeah, (laughs) I can see heads nodding that we have. Yeah, if you remember with Esau and Jacob, same guy in the equation, right? Esau and Jacob, we saw that the trade was what? The birthright for a bowl of stew. In fact, the similarities don't end. Both of those stories end up starting with a son out in the field, coming in from the field. In that story, it was Esau coming in from the field. In this story, it's Reuben coming in from the field. And both of them had the additional element of this desperation right Esau's hunger he felt like it was so desperate that it prompted him to make this ridiculous trade and here we see the desperation of Rachel prompting her to make this ridiculous trade and the ridiculous trade in the first one was what the birthright for a bowl of soup come on you know that earned you disfavor with God right there and then here we see what Rachel is willing to offer her husband love making in exchange for a flower some flowers really so that's what we've got going on here. So she's willing to trade. And in fact, it sounds like when you're reading through that material, it sounds like she has some sort of control over where Jacob sleeps tonight. Right? It sounds like she's like, I'll pencil you in. You get tonight, but tonight only. All right? But tomorrow's coming back to my place. You know, because it's it's not a permanent situation. It's just temporary. And I'll do that in exchange for the flowers. All right? So she makes this trade. Did you see the irony, though, in verse 15? Where Leah says this. Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? You have taken... She, Leah, the wife he didn't want, is saying to Rachel, you have taken away my... Hu-. She's the one that was in love with Jacob. Jacob was in love with her. It was like if the only two people would have been married, it would have been just Jacob and Rachel, except for the trickery of Laban, sticking Leah in there, right? And so now it's Leah saying, you've taken away my husband. Uh, I just thought that was ironic there that that would be in there. And then Rachel says, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. Mine says he will lie with you. That's a euphemism for you guys can have sex tonight. All right. Verse 16. Somebody mind reading verse 16. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went, went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes and you lay with her that night. You know what's interesting too is Jacob hasn't said anything through this whole thing so far (laughs) so here he is, he's coming in from the field oh man, I'm tired and I'm dirty and he's probably looking forward to his slippers and a little campfire and a little bit of hot stew or something and here comes Leia she doesn't even wait back at the tent she's not taking any chances that he goes sauntering into Rachel's tent she goes out to meet him she's watching for him here he comes, All right, I'm going out there And I'm guessing she's probably gotten gussied up a little bit. She probably got dressed in her best, I don't know, robe. She probably did up her hair, maybe a little mandrake perfume behind her ears or something. (laughs) I don't know. know. But she's gone out there, and she wants this to happen. She meets him as he's coming in from the field, and she informs him that I've paid to sleep with you tonight how bad a relationship do you have to have with your wife that you got to pay one another money to sleep with one another okay we don't need to go there but that's what's going on here she's saying you surely have to come in because i've hired you the word for hired there is sakar all right so in hebrew she's paid these wages or this reward to ensure that she gets to sleep with him tonight so apparently he hasn't been around for a little while at her tent all right you'll remember she quit bearing and perhaps he lost interest when she quit bearing after son number four Reuben Simeon Levi Judah after we read of the birth of Judah it says then Leah didn't conceive anymore and it could be that Jacob was like well you know this isn't working out anymore she's not bearing anymore I go hang out with Rachel full-time now you know (laughs) so here she is she's made an arrangement he must come to her and uh, he he does he goes to her tent and they sleep together And then uh, verse 17, somebody mind reading verse 17. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Excellent. So she ends up getting pregnant, and she ends up having a fifth son. And then verse 18, we find out the name of the son is Issachar. But we also have a meaning attached with that name. It says, Leah said, God has given me my wages. That's the same word, Sakar, Because I have given my maid to my husband, so she called his name Issachar. So his name is a play on words. It's a play on the words for wages. It's a play on the word for hired, when she says, I have hired. And it also brings into account that she gave her maid, Zilpah, to Jacob earlier, which bore the last two children, the last two that were born. So it's kind of strange. So we've got this, it's like a triple faceted meaning that we've got going on with Issachar. How would you like to be named that? You know? (laughs) Issachar, and you go, hey, how'd you get your name? Well, you know, it's this complicated story with my parents. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and you have to explain that. That would be kind of awkward. Regarding wages and hire, this is like a theme the entire time. Laban's all about money. Jacob's all about money. We see this idea of wages comes up often in this story, and we're not done with it yet. We're going to see it gets even more intense in the next chapter. The next one here regarding Issachar, she is giving god credit she is saying thank you to god credit to god because he's rewarding me for having let my husband sleep with my maid sometimes people give god credit for things that he probably doesn't want credit for (laughs) okay this is probably a great example of that god's probably like no you know what if we're going to sit down and have a talk over coffee i'm going to tell you no that wasn't my idea I never was interested in you giving your maid to Jacob to sleep with. It's only made trouble. All right. But uh, sometimes people do that. You know, I'm going to give God the credit. Uh, God would probably be saying here, I don't want that kind of credit. Verses 19 and 20. Somebody mind reading that. Then she became pregnant again and had a sixth son. She named him Zebulun, for she said, God has given me good gifts for my husband. Now he will honor me, for I have given him six sons excellent thank you jennifer so now we've got two more boys i should probably be listing their names up here so we have issachar and zebulun zebulun is also a play on words zebulun when we read here god has endowed me with a good endowment or given me good gifts the words there are zabad and zebed, and my husband will dwell with me or honor me or accept me or esteem me as zabal. so we have zabad zebed, zabal and his name is zebulun all right So it's kind of a play on the words or the sounds from those words there. And that's what gives rise to the meaning of his name, calling him Zebulun. Let's read the next verse. Somebody mind reading verse 21. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her Dinah. So we got a girl in the mix. All right, I'm going to use pink for girls. (laughs) (laughs) So now we've got a total of how many names up there? We've got 11. We've got 11 names, including one girl. Dinah, though, it doesn't tell us. There's no play, there's no pun on her name. She's the first one in the list so far where there's no play on words. There's no pun. Dinah is the only daughter of Jacob that's ever named. There may be others. In fact, if you were to look at Genesis forty-six fifteen, it suggests, or it uses a word over there for daughters and attributing those to Jacob. But when you read through the context of the entire list, it could be not just daughters but granddaughters, just as there are sons and there are grandsons in the list. But by the time you get to the end, it's in the plural for the girls, all right? So perhaps Dinah has other sisters, we just don't know their names yet. Or perhaps they've already been born and we don't know their names at all, and we won't know the names. She's the only one named. Part of the reason that we probably have a name for Dinah and nobody else is because she's going to figure prominently in story coming up, all right? She's got a big part in a story coming up. But Dinah is kind of related to the word Dan or to the name of Dan. You remember that's one of her brother's names. And that means to judge or to vindicate. So there is actually a meaning to her name. We just weren't given it. It wasn't expressly told to us like it was for her brothers. Uh-huh. Kenneth Matthews, he says regarding Leah here, her prodigious contribution to the house of Jacob testifies to the grace of God and the life of a woman who suffered the emotional neglect of her husband. Why am I bringing that up? Why am I saying that? Well, because if you're an emotionally neglected person in a a relationship with a husband, God doesn't overlook that. It's not like God doesn't see that. It's not like you're in a place where God has forgotten you. If you're in a place where you're feeling neglected, if you're in a relationship that's just gone sour, if you're in a place where, you know, it could be a lot better, and in fact it is better for my sister (laughs) or some other relationship, that doesn't mean God's forgotten you so i wanted to bring that up as well verse 22 somebody my reading verse 22 then god remembered rachel and god listened to her and opened her room who, wait who did he remember rachel rachel wait a minute looking on my list does has rachel had a child yet <laughs> no rachel has not had a child yet it's finally rachel's turn Bilhah was done zilpah was done h had two Leah had four, then there was a gap of time, and then she had two more sons and a daughter. She's now done. They're done, and we end the story of childbirthing, in this section anyway, with Rachel. But how did the mandrakes work out? Mm-hmm. I don't see anything in there about mandrakes. Do you see anything about mandrakes? Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't say this. It doesn't say, and that Jacob finally succumbed to the aroma or the fragrance of the mandrakes sitting on, the, on that bedstand. It doesn't say that. Is it the mandrakes that caused Rachel to get pregnant? No, that was a long time ago. That was before this kid was born. There's been three children since then. It's been years. The mandrakes are wilted and done. They're gone and in the trash. God gets the credit for this one. Where God shouldn't be giving credit for the other one because he doesn't want the credit for the other one. This is the kind of thing he gets credit for. Making the barren able to bear. God gets the credit for this one. Somebody might read in verses 23 and 24. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Excellent. So now we have Joseph listed up here. He's the 12th name. He's the 11th boy. 11th boy, the 12th name added to the list. Regarding when she got pregnant, that word there remembered, in verse 22, God remembered Rachel. God remembered Rachel. It's not like God had forgotten about Rachel. That's not the way we should read it. Instead, we should read it And look at the previous times where this word has shown up. This word has shown up in chapter 8, verse 1. When Noah was in the ark with the animals and it said, God remembered Noah. It shows up in 9.15 where God puts the rainbow in the sky and he says, I will remember when I see the rainbow and I won't flood the earth again. It shows up in 19.29 When the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed, but Lot is preserved because, and it says, God remembered Abraham. And it's the same as we have here. What is it? It's the same in the sense that it conveys that God has either just done something huge or God is about to do something huge. God has remembered her in that way, not in the way like, oh, I forgot. I forgot to buy milk when I was at the grocery store. Okay, I remembered now that I forgot to buy milk. It's not that at all. It's that God is intending to do something big in the life of Rachel right here, and she gets pregnant. She gets pregnant. By the way, that word for remembered there, there's a similar word that's used over in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 24, and it's used in the Talmud, which is, think of the Talmud as ancient instructions or ancient commentary on the Bible, okay? Think of the Talmud as a 6,200-page commentary on what we call the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the, the Old Covenant. And in the Talmud... There's a suggestion that perhaps Rachel, as well as Sarah, and as well as Hannah, were all able to conceive. They were all barren, but then they were all able to conceive in association with Rosh Hashanah. All right, Rosh Hashanah. And so you end up having them figure prominently in the liturgy that goes along with that high holy day. Verses 23 and 24, she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. The word for reproach there is Asap. So she called his name Yosep. And said, the Lord shall yasap to me another son. So you've got these play on words going on again. And that's what gives rise to the name of Joseph there. Interestingly as well, there in verse 24, so she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord. The Lord, that's Yahweh, yod He vav right. That's Jehovah. That's the first time she's called him by that. Elsewhere up until this point, she's called him Elohim. You remember that Leah, her sister, when her sister started bearing the first four, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, she was giving praise to God. It was like she was the one that was the stronger example in the faith. And it was as if Rachel was relying on her good looks and her charm and her beauty, right? But as the story unfolds, it looks like Leah gets less mature spiritually and Rachel gets more mature spiritually. And that Leah, she's using Yahweh up here and ends up resorting to Elohim later on. And Rachel uses Elohim earlier and uses Yahweh later on. So it's kind of like there's a switch going on of sorts. Kind of interesting how that happened. Okay, so now, what have we got here? So we've got a bunch of boys, we've got a girl, we've got in the birth order, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, and then Joseph. And then the story ends, nobody else being born for a long time. Now, spoiler alert. If you don't like spoilers, plug your ears for the next 15 seconds, all right? (laughs) Because you remember it says regarding Joseph, why does she name him Joseph? One of the play on words is, please God, add to me another one. I don't want it to end here. I'm looking forward to something more. And his name actually is to convey and to remind everybody that there's something yet still ahead. I'm trusting, I'm trusting God for something yet still ahead. She ends up getting pregnant later on. She ends up having another boy. It's boy number 12. It's Benjamin. But he's five chapters away. So I'm mentioning him now because you'll probably forget him by the time we get five chapters. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know you guys, you already knew that. She is looking forward to the day when she can have another. And God does answer her prayer and blesses her with another. She'll end up having Benjamin down the road. Okay, so of the boys that we've got here, though, Jacob. How many people is he married to? Okay, that's kind of a trick question. How many did he intend to marry? One. Who was that? Rachel. That would have been her favorite. His favorite wife, Rachel. But he ends up marrying a second one. Who's that? Leah. What's Leah's relationship to Rachel? Sister. Sister. Older or younger? Older. Older. Older sister. So you've got Jacob. He's married to Leah. He was She was actually the first one he ended up marrying. By trickery, he wasn't interested. And he's married to Rachel as well. To this day, is there still a favorite wife? Mm-hmm. Which one is it? Rachel. 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 Who's been having all the kids? Though? Who, has Leah been having all the kids or is Rachel? Leah, the unfavored wife's been having all the kids, but Rachel's the favorite wife. What do you suppose happens in the family dynamic when his favorite wife has a kid? When his favorite wife has a son? You think that boy's going to end up being a favorite? Yeah, of course. <laughs> that's exactly right. Of course. And this story is going to turn out that way. So yeah, Jacob's going to have a favorite, and it doesn't matter that he's not the firstborn, or second, or third, or fourth, or fifth. He's the 11th born, and he's still going to be the favorite in the story. He's dad's favorite kid. You ever seen a parent have a favorite kid so far in this study that's created problems? What happened when Jacob was competing with his own brother? for favoritism. Remember that? Isaac had a favorite. It was Esau. And Isaac's wife, Rebecca, had a favorite. It was Jacob. What happened there in that relationship? Broke up the family. One of the boys had to be sent away. Favoritism didn't work so well there. Go generation before that. Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Ishmael, Isaac. Was there some competition going on there? Ishmael and Isaac, was there some competition? Yeah, there was. Hagar and Sarah, was there some competition? Did we have some favoritism? Did we have some broke the family up issues going on? One of the boys sent away. It broke up the family. Favoritism broke up this family. Favoritism broke up this family. I suppose that maybe we're going to see a pattern. Favoritism is going to break up this family. That one of the sons has to be sent away. One of the sons was sent away. One of the sons was sent away. I think we're going to see that in this generation, one of the sunsets away. I think there's some foreshadowing going on there. <laughs> I think there's going to be some issues. All right, so why are the ladies competing? Why are the sisters competing? I'm going to propose to you two reasons. Give me one of them, or, or both. Anybody think of one of them? Why are they competing? Favor in society, kind of, right? Well, they do want to have kids definitely in favor of society, but they keep having kids. And she's not content with just one. So something more than that. Because they want the covenant through their line. There you go. They want the covenant through their line. What's the covenant? It's the promise, right? Remember the promises? The promise. Abraham was given by God. Genesis chapter 12, right there in the early verses. God appears to Abraham, and in those promises, he says, I'm going to bless the whole earth through you. And then Isaac gets those same promises. In your seed, I will bless the whole earth. In your seed. What is that? Zarah It's your descendant. It's your son. It's, your, it's people coming from you and then we've got here Jacob turn to Genesis chapter 28 go to verse 14 God appears to Jacob remember this is when he's traveling that month long journey in the desert going to Padanaram Aram to find a wife he hasn't had a wife he's not even married yet and it says, in fact, I'm going to back up to verse 13. Behold, the Lord stood above it. This is that dream. You remember that vision that he had. He sees that ladder, that stairway um, between heaven and earth. And he sees the angels of God ascending and descending on the, on the stairway. And God, where's God? It's not really clear. The language suggests he could be above him. He could be right there with Jacob. We're not really clear where God is on it. Uh, but it says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, that's Zerah, in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Zerah is a word that can be translated as a plural or as a singular. And you remember that when Jacob left that place, he was like, oh, wow, God is here. And one of the things that he, you remember when he woke up, he goes, God was here and I didn't even know it. And then he ends up saying this, God, if you bring me back, I'll serve you. And then he ends up going, continuing his journey. He gets to ben he gets to the well, he meets Rachel. Rachel takes him to Laban, and it says he told them all these things. What things were included in that? I'm thinking he probably told the story about God, met him on the way. And in that story probably included the covenantal the blessing. In that story, he probably told how God promised him the same thing that he had promised his dad and his grandfather. i got to tell you, God appeared to me on the way. I had never met God before. My dad had, my grandpa had, but they had a personal relationship with God, but I didn't. I thought I did. I was just riding their coattails, but it turns out having a relationship is something quite different than knowing somebody that has a relationship. And when God met me, one of the things he told me is that the promise was mine as well, that through my seed, the whole earth is going to be blessed through my descendant, through some son I'm going to end up having. And he probably tells this story to Laban. He probably tells this story in the 14 years that we've been seeing. Seven years he worked for his brides. And the seven more years he's working off the second marriage. And he's probably got lots of time to tell him in that seven, seven years because he's laying with everybody, all right? Mm -hmm. And there's probably lots of time around the campfire because you're not playing video games and you're not watching the news and you're not watching football, all right? So you're talking And you're talking about what? You're talking about the greatest things that have ever happened in your life, including when God made the promise to you that he made to your father, that he made to your grandfather. And Rachel's probably thinking, I want to be the one. I want to be the one that has that seed. I want to be the one through whom God makes this come true. And you know Leah's saying the same thing. I want to be that one. This seed is going to become a savior and a deliverer. She's probably thinking, I want to have that savior. I want to have that deliverer. I want to be the one that gives birth to this. But Leah's in the lead. Leah pulls out ahead. She has Reuben. Mm -hmm. She has Simeon. She has Levi. She has Judah. She's got a big advance, right? And if she can't have kids, she's going to die. She feels like she's going to die because that means she won't get to be the one that participates in God's big plan for the world. She won't be the one that gets to have that seed. If she can't have kids, she's disqualified from that promise. Leah's sitting pretty pretty. She's sitting good. She's, You know what I mean. Leah's sitting pretty good. She's got Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. She's got six of the eleven. She's got over half the boys in her favor. She wants to be the one to have the Messiah. She wants to be the one to have the Deliverer. She wants to be the one to have the Savior. Rachel wants to be the one to have the Deliverer. Rachel wants to be the one. And when she finally has a boy, she thinks, I'm still on the running. So you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) (laughs) She's got a boy, right? (laughs) Here's one thing, though. A couple things to notice. It can only be one, right? Mm -hmm. It can only be one. In their minds, only one can have this Savior. Only one person. But God's intention was never to have a relationship with just one person. And praise be to God, right? That to have a relationship with the Savior is open to a lot bigger group than just one person. In fact, John 3 16, probably the most familiar verse, right? For God so loved one person? The world. The world. God has enough love. God has enough of every quality God has to give to spread it out equally and and have more than enough for every person in the world, should the whole world respond. When we were having kids and my wife proposed, hey, let's go from a single to plural, all right? From kid to kids. I was concerned. Here's one of my concerns. I would then need to divide up the amount of love I have between my kids. And I'm not sure if I have enough love. I mean, maybe I have enough to raise one kid, but to raise two, how am I going to do that? I have to split up the amount of love I have, and then they each get half of dad's love. And then three, uh, God doesn't have that problem. He has no concerns about having enough of what's needed to raise his kids. All right? God intended that the relationship be not just one person, but the world would be blessed. And that's what we saw in the promises, that the world would be blessed not one woman would be blessed. That wasn't his intention to bless one woman. His intention was to bless the world. And then number two, two, another thing that they got wrong. The women were thinking, I wanna have that savior. I wanna have the savior, I wanna have the Messiah, I wanna have the deliverer. You don't have the savior. He has you. God has you. The right way to think of it is if you surrender yourself to God, you don't own God, he has you. You don't possess him. He possesses you. You don't take God and give your life to God and go, okay, I've got God now in my hand. Now I stick him in my pocket. And now I'm going to walk around with God in my pocket because I have the Savior. You don't have the Savior. He's got you. If you're given over to God, you're in his pocket. He has you. You don't have him. And number three, turn to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. As you're turning to Ephesians chapter two, I want you to notice something on the list up here. These women worked hard. Mm -hmm. These women worked hard to have these babies. I mean, when it wasn't working for them, they were pulling the maids into the equation. Mm -hmm. They were working so hard for the Savior, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You don't work hard to have the Savior. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. No, they're working hard for the Savior, right? You don't work hard when it comes to salvation. Salvation's a gift. God blesses the women with children as a gift. Rachel worked hard by human means. She pulled her maid into the equation. She tried the little flower magic. (laughs) None of that worked for her. And when she finally gave up, God remembered her. When she gave up operating on her own abilities and on her own strength, on her own charm, on her own beauty, on her own wit. And when that was all played out and she had nothing left to offer, God says, now I can do something. And she ends up getting pregnant. God gave her a gift, blessed her with the gift of a child. She couldn't conjure it on her own by her own abilities. But what's verse 10? A lot of times we dig out verse 10. A lot of times the verses 8 and 9 are quoted... But we leave out verse 10. Verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What does that mean for our individual salvation? Here's what that means. We can't earn it. There's nothing we can do to conjure our salvation. There's nothing we can put into the mix that says, I deserve it, it's merit. No, you don't do anything. It's a gift of God. But when you are saved, when you are saved, you do good works. Good works don't get you saved. Good works show that you are saved. You don't take good works out of the equation and say, oh, there's no place for good works. And you get your little spiritual lazy boy and sit down and, and pop your feet up and go, I'm saved. I don't need to do anything. No, you actually have a purpose. When people are going through, uh, what's the meaning of life? Do good works. <laughs> Be saved first. Have your relationship with God. But if you're still looking for meaning and purpose in your life after that point, it's right there. Do good works for God. They've been prepared. They're already prepared for you in advance. When I have my girls make cookies, I don't ask them to make cookies that I haven't provided them ingredients for. I don't ask them to make cookies that I haven't given them a recipe to make. All right? I provide for them what they need to accomplish what I'm asking them to do. God's provided for us everything we need to accomplish the good works that he's asking us to do. But make no mistake about it, we need to be doing good works. These ladies worked hard, but they had it backward. They were working hard, they wanted the Savior. We get the Savior for free as a gift. But we should be working just as hard as they were, not to get saved, but to show that we are saved. We should have their stamina, their compulsion, their drive to do the works that God has prepared for us in advance to do. So number three right here is works, because we are saved. Works because we are said. All right, and I'm going to wrap up with this. Looking at the names on the board, clearly Joseph. There's going to be issues in this, family. You're right now. There's going to be some favoritism issues going on in here. You know Joseph's going to be the favorite. You know Joseph's going to be the favorite. And I'll tell you what, the book of Genesis, if you haven't met Joseph before, get to know this guy because the whole rest of the book is about you. Right. I mean, there's little snippets and vignettes about other people as we go. Dinah's got a chapter. All right, uh, Judah's going to have a chapter coming up. But basically, a lot of the material of what's left in Genesis is going to be about Joseph. Huge amount of material. Comparable amount of material as we saw with Abraham. And that was a lot. A lot of material about Joseph. But something about Joseph? The Messiah doesn't come through him. The Messiah doesn't come through him. Judah. In fact, I want to draw your attention to two names over here. Levi and Judah. Judah. Levi, Levi is the family line, the tribe that becomes the family line that gives rise to Moses, and to Aaron, and to the priesthood, and Judah is the line through whom the kings come. The kings and priests are born to the sons of Leah. Joseph does serve a prominent part in the rest of the story, and God does wonderful things through Joseph. In fact, Joseph is one of the few people in the Bible about whom nothing negative is said. And i got to give a caveat to that, because in a few places it's kind of like, well, that should be construed as negative. But um, very few people have a reputation in the Bible like Joseph does. So God definitely does use him, but he's not the one that the promise comes through. Now that makes a little bit of a quandary for us. Because if Jacob had married the person he wanted to marry, what would have happened? I don't know. Would God have to change up this? because if he had only married Rachel if Laban hadn't tricked him if he had never married Leah would God have had to rearrange who the seed was going to come through or did God know in advance what was going to happen and he's able to work out his plan accordingly if God knows in advance what's going to happen and he's able to work out his plan in the future before it even happens and in his sovereignty still work it all out then that means God can take the messy situations of your life, the mistakes and the times you were taken advantage of, and he can still receive glory out of those. And not just receive glory and redeem those, he can make those the line that he intends to do his greatest work through. So we look at our situation and we go, that family's a mess, and you've heard me say it before. That's great, I love that. I love that it's a mess. Because it tells me that the mess of my family that I come from there's still hope. <laughs> And you've probably got it too. I bet most of you, any of you here from a perfect family, absolutely perfect family. No, I don't see any hands. We're all from messed up families. We've all got messed up situations in our past. Mistakes that people made before us and mistakes we're making even to this day. But God can still do his great work through situations despite the mess. All right. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that your intention was never to have a relationship with just one person. You didn't come to this earth just looking for a bride. One lucky individual. But God, you came to this earth looking for a bride. All the saints. And we look forward to that marriage. That marriage supper of the Lamb that we read about in Revelation chapter 19. Where all of your people, those who have bowed the knee to you, are there. As your bride thank you Lord that the relationship you offer us is so big that it could accommodate even the whole world if the whole world were to respond God we thank you that we don't have to work to secure this relationship with you that we don't have to work to earn our way to live with you forever but help us Lord not to get lazy Help us to realize that we have a job to do. We don't do the job to get saved. We do the job because we are saved. We thank you, God, for your patience with us. We thank you, Lord, for the examples we see of messed up families that you were able to do wonderful things through. And, God, that gives us hope that you can still use us in some capacity. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, you guys have a great week. Have some fun.